Good afternoon, and thank you so much for coming. I am delighted to be able to share the story of an American hero in Marian Anderson. I'd like to, this afternoon, actually dedicate this show to my uncle, James Rippey, who passed away just yesterday at the age of 81. I describe him as a man who never knew a bad day because he always seemed to be up at any time, even when the, the sicker that he got, the longer the illness was prolonged, it seemed like he just never stopped smiling. And it reminds me today of the legacy and history of Marian Anderson, who had many bad days that I will share, but continue to press forward because she knew her calling, she knew her mission in life. And how could it be a bad day? I'm surrounded by my friends, my family, my own father here, to come and hear this story that has come to mean so much to me. Marian Anderson was 
came to be known as uh, you heard the introduction from Mr. Jones, known during the civil rights movement, but long before that, and I'll tell that story later, but as a person who was able to persevere, her story tells us that the promise is not just for those who have who have money who have who have opportunity it's for those who make opportunity for themselves and that's what Marian Anderson did and she became an icon after delivering that wonderful concert on the steps of the memorial of the Lincoln Memorial that I will tell you more about Marian Anderson was born in 1897 in Philadelphia Pennsylvania she loved to sing. And Marion started singing in the church. Her mother, her sisters, her entire family loved to sing. But when Marion sang, people knew that that was a special, special voice. Marion sang at Union Baptist Church in Philadelphia. And she sang in the adult choir even as a child. And she would stand on a chair where she could hear and see the conductor and see the director of the church. And I happen to believe probably so that she could be seen herself. And the church came to know, and it was in the church that they came to know that this was a special voice, that this was a special woman. The church, the community, her family, her friends, they all supported her. And she started giving concerts in and around Philadelphia. What Marion really wanted to do was be an opera singer. And the time was not so easy for her to be able to have those sorts of opportunities. And I'll weave in another part of the story here. There are three words that if you forget everything about Marion Anderson, and I hope that you won't, that you will remember this for yourself. The three words are choices, not limitations. Marian Anderson had many, many choices, and I will talk about those, those choices, and she had many, many limitations. And it all becomes a matter of perspective in the long run. And you'll see me try some of those things, things on, and you'll see what I'm about to do with all of these little costumes here as we go through. And so Marian would give those concerts, and have these limitations, and we'll talk about those a little later on. These are some images of some of those concert posters that Marion would give. She started giving those concerts as early as age 10. The concert posters would say, come and hear the baby contralto, age 10 years old. And she's raising money to go to school. Again, her goal is that she study music, that she learn what it is to be an operatic singer and to be a classical performer. And so Marion is giving these concerts with names that you may recognize here, Roland Hayes, who was a great fan of Marion Anderson and supported her throughout her career. And Marion is giving these concerts, raising money, bringing people from all around Philadelphia and the surrounding areas to hear this phenomenal voice. And I talk about those limitations, and they do come when Marion is about 10 years old. And she loses her father and her grandfather within a year of each other. Now, what that means for the Anderson family, who is already a family that, that struggles financially, 
They're not well off, but what it means for Marion and her sisters and her mother is that she continues to work. So now she's giving those concerts. She's raising money to support herself through music school, but the other thing is she's also finding that some of that money is going to have to go to support the family. And so she does that. In order to work, Marion found that she would probably not be able to go to school full-time. So she drops out of school. I talked about those choices, not limitations. It was a choice that she made to drop out of high school. She did not graduate with the, one, the rest of her class. And in fact, Marion Anderson was almost 21 years old before she graduated from high school. But it's a choice she made in spite of the limitations. Marion had the opportunity to see Puccini's Madame Butterfly. And she saw the beautiful costumes and the staging and the orchestra and the acting and the singing. And she knew right then and there that this was a goal of hers to really be on the opera stage. And I'd like to, to sing for you one of the, what I believe one of the most beautiful arias ever written. And it is from Puccini's Madame Butterfly. I'll do this piece in Italian as it was written. And let me tell you a little bit about the story so you won't have to worry about translating it for all you Italian speakers. That pictured here is, is Chocho-san. Chocho-san is a young Japanese girl. And she falls in love with an American soldier. Pinkerton, when he goes to Japan. They fall in love, but as happens with military men, they are eventually moved somewhere else. He comes back to the United States and is gone for several years. When he finally gets back, and all this time, she has looked out these windows, waiting for him to come back, saying, Un bel vedremo, one fine day, I'll see him again. And at the end, she's, or in the middle, you'll hear, she says, Ah, kisara, kisara, kiamara butterfly. I'll wait for him to speak to me. When he calls me, he'll, he'll come again, and he'll say to me, Butterfly, he'll call me by that pet name he used to call me. L'aspetto, I'll wait. Puccini's Un bel di vedremo.
So in the midst of a very, very sad opera, I didn't tell you the ending at the beginning, that Pinkerton eventually does come back to Japan and he sees Chocho-san again. What he doesn't know is that during that time, during the several years that he's been gone, that she's had his baby. And she is devastated by the fact that not only did he come back, but he came back with his American bride. And so she takes her life at the end of the show. So in spite of a very sad ending, Marian Anderson was inspired and encouraged to want to have a career on the opera stage. And so Marian is still in pursuit of that formal music education. And she thinks that perhaps she is going to have that opportunity while she continues performing and giving her concerts and going to see and hear beautiful music. And she has the opportunity to meet Giuseppe Boghetti. Boghetti had uh, quite a, uh, what do we say, probably a mild career as an operatic tenor himself, had a pretty vocal, um, pretty long career, um, maybe not so well known during his day, but he now was in Philadelphia and had a music studio. And so he was going to take students and now, Marion, how she got to this point is that initially she thought that perhaps she was going to enroll in the Philadelphia Music School. And I see you shaking your head. That wasn't going to happen. She stood in line, and she waited, and she went there, but they never gave her that application. They never gave her her audition time or date. It was announced at that time that no colored allowed, and that was the rule of the day. And so this seemed to be, perhaps that was indeed a limitation, but the choice seemed to be that perhaps Marion could study privately. And so she would go to Giuseppe Boghetti's studio, and when she would get there, he would announce that there was neither time nor room for any more students. A limitation, perhaps. But Marion took a different made a different choice. And what she did was she just began to sing. She closed her eyes and just started singing. Marion had just sung Deep River, My Home is Over Jordan. All of a sudden, there was time and there was room for Marion Anderson in Bogetti's studio. And he would train her for several years, but there was still a limitation. And the limitation was 
that Marion knew that in order to be a classical singer, she was going to have to sing in languages other than English. And Bogetti had a limitation that he couldn't teach her her languages. And so what she did, she made another choice at that time, is that she would go to Europe. And like many African-American singers before her, that she would go to Europe in order where opportunities were more open, where she would have the chance to really learn those languages. When she sang her concerts, she would often do some of the, the, the French, the German, the Italian repertoire, but it was always a critique of Marion's that it wasn't necessarily very good. She had never had any studies. She was teaching herself these languages. And so this was the opportunity for Marion to really get some formal training. And so she would go... She would go to, to Germany and to Europe. She would learn her languages from Kurt Yonen and from Franz Rupp, who became her longtime friend and accompanist. And when she would come back to the United States, Franz Rupp would come back with her and remain an accompanist for Marian Anderson for very um, much of her career. But Marian did learn those languages. And one of the languages that she enjoyed so much was German. She is here, and I'll do one of those German leader for you just coming up. But I wanted to get to, to some of the places and show you some of the images of where Marian Anderson is going. Now, remember, I told you the goal for Marian Anderson was to go to Europe so that she could study. But while she was there, she became a star. And she is traveling all over Europe, and you'll see some of these, these images that I will show here. And I always, and when I get to some of these images, it reminds me of the costume that I have to put on. Now, let me, let me get it, and then I'll finish the story. Now, I always, I put something on here because every time I get to these images, I can't help but think of the beautiful gowns that she wore. And so this is just, a, uh, and Marion, she never forgot those gowns either, by the way. She used to, to write back to her sisters at home, and you would think she would talk, be talking about some of the beautiful concert halls and all of the places that she's been, and now I'm in, in Austria, now I am, I am here in Paris. But she would write home, and you should see the beautiful gown I brought today. And she loved the dresses. But think about her humble beginnings. And now she is here having the opportunity to put on some of these gorgeous gowns and be in some of the finest concert halls in all of the world and to sing. Marion, every place she went, and you see some of the languages and places represented here, and everywhere she went, she sang in those languages. She learned those languages so very well. But she had one that she loved the most, and it was German. She liked the German leader. And so I'd like to do one of those German pieces for you. And I'll tell you a little bit about this one, too. And it's called Die Forella. Die Forella, the trout. And so you'll get this piece pretty much, and you'll be able to, to follow it pretty well. But essentially, you know, it's, it's an honest-to-God fish story is that here, here we are of, of watching a little trout down a stream. And Andrew, let, let me hear some stream music. All the way through, you hear this sound of sort of water, of movement. And we're observing this pretty 
this beautiful trout, and you'll hear all the times that we're actually talking about the fish, and I'm going to teach you a little German while we're here, and you hear something that sounds like fish. You'll hear fish line, fishermen, the fishermen, fish line, fisher. You'll always hear something that will remind you that we're still talking about this little fish. And so what happens along the way is that the fish is about to be caught, and the music is going to tell us that that's about to happen too. And when that trout is about to be caught, we remember that the only thing we have are the memories of Di Farella. And so you'll hear the music of the beginning just come back. Don't, does anybody here speak German, by the way? Oh, I'm always so glad when that happens, because in case I make any mistakes, you won't catch that, and we'll keep going. This is Di Farella, Franz Schubert. So Marion, again, is traveling all over Europe. She is giving so many concerts. In a year's time, Marion is giving probably uh, over 300 concerts a year. Now, that's a lot of singing. And not only is she doing the concert, but at, at the end of the programs is that she is easily called on for four to five encore pieces. And so these concerts are extraordinarily long, and she's doing so, so many of them. And she's blessed with very good health much of her career that she's able to keep the pace of so much singing. Now some of those limitations continued to follow her, even to Europe. She has what she thinks, again, a choice, an opportunity to be part of the Salzburg Festival. 
Her agent has arranged for her to be part of this, this music festival where many people, many musicians from all over the world are going to come to sing and, and play instruments and all other types of things. And um, the Salzburg, the, the planners of this particular festival, decide that, you know, I don't, we, we're not comfortable in having Marian Anderson be part of this festival. And again, the limitation was, we're not quite sure how the American government is going to respond to us having an American Negro in this festival. And so they decide that Marion will not be part of the Salzburg Festival. What happens is that her agents who are, her agent who is extraordinarily uh, savvy, he says, okay, no problem. I'll tell you what, why don't we do a concert? And in spite that Marian Anderson now is known all over the world, or at least all over Europe, they still deny her that opportunity to sing at this festival. But he says, you know what, we'll give, we'll give a concert. We'll do a recital. And uh, since we're already here in Salzburg, why don't we just have that, that recital in Salzburg? And even a better idea, why don't we give the recital around the time of the festival? And so that everybody is still around and that they could still post these concert posters and arrange for Marion to sing. And she is heard. And she's heard by this gentleman. This is Arturo Toscanini. He's a famous conductor of the day. And Toscanini hears Marion Anderson sing. And he says, yours is a voice one hears only once in a hundred years. He hears her sing Schubert's Ave Maria.
eventually Marion does come back to the United States during a very d difficult time in this country's history. When Marion comes back, now remember, by all standards, Marion Anderson is a star. But when she comes back to the United States, she is still a black woman in America. So when she is traveling in parts of the segregated South, she would still ride in the cars reserved for the coloreds. She would still be subject to the law of the day. Marion would give concerts in, again, some of the finest concert halls in this country and still be unable to stay in the hotels and the motels in that area, often doing homestays where she's able to stay with family and friends. Many people thought Marion Anderson, given the name that she had and the success that she had, that she should be more outspoken as a civil rights advocate. And it wasn't that Marion didn't know what was going on that was so out of touch with, with what was happening today in the world and perhaps didn't recognize who she was. And sometimes those are the messages that she would get. Well, here is an African-American woman, a black woman singing opera. Who ever heard of such a thing? But Marion, again, was not, was not bound by her limitations, hers or anyone else's, of what they thought she should do, of what she should do as a person that her skin color did not keep her from doing the things that she wanted to do. And although these were real-life limitations, Marion always had choices. And some of the choices she actually made on the concert stage. She would not be like the woman we saw just earlier, Rosa Parks. She would not take the stand, would not speak, speak up, and was not outspoken in the same way that Rosa Parks was, that launched her refusing to give up her seat that day, that launched the Montgomery bus boycotts. She was not the orator that Martin Luther King Jr. was. By the way, Marian Anderson was at the March on Washington not to speak, but to sing. But Marion had her own dream. And you remember that it was this. She wanted to sing opera. Her close friends, Paul Robeson, who was very outspoken, Paul Robeson often would refuse to give concerts on stages where, he, where there was a segregated audience. Now, Marian Anderson would do that all the time. She would give two concerts, a concert for all blacks and a concert for whites. Now, again, think about, again, in this country, the number of concerts that she gave, the length of those programs, and to do them twice. But Marion would do that. Paul Robeson would not sing, often would not sing before segregated audiences. And he might not know that that was going to ha happen until he walked out on the stage, at which time he would turn around and walk off and not perform at all. He became very politically active later in his life. You know, may know that he was exiled from this country for a while, labeled a communist. But again, this was not the choice that Marian Anderson made. And she was often ridiculed for that. Marian, with your name, if you would speak out, if you would say more, perhaps, maybe, if only. But Marion had her dream, Marion had her way that she was going to make a difference. 
It was not Marian Anderson's choice to be like Paul Robeson, to be like Martin Luther King, to be like Rosa Parks, to be like a Barack Obama in the future. Paul Robeson said, The artist must elect to fight for freedom or slavery. I have made my choice. I had no alternative. This was not Marian Anderson's choice. This was Paul Robeson's choice. When I see this image, I often think of the conversations they must have had around these parties or events that they might attend. Nonetheless, I'm sure many of those conversations ended in some disagreement of some sort or another. He was a very significant supporter and colleague and friend of Marian Anderson. And then the story that makes history. The Daughters of the American Revolution, who still own Constitution Hall, Marian Anderson, what many of you may not know, is that um, Marian, how it came about that she would be asked or would inquire about giving a concert at Constitution Hall. Marian Anderson is invited by Howard University to come and sing in Washington, D.C., and they looked for a place that they knew to be large enough to, to hold a big star like Marian Anderson, and they said, ha, huh, Constitution Hall would be the perfect place to hold this program. Well, as it turns out, Constitution Hall thought differently about it because there was another stipulation that Howard University wanted. Constitution Hall had had performers of color before. The issue was not that Marian Anderson was black. The issue was that Howard University wanted an equal number of seats for black and white, equal number of quality seats. Let me, let me confirm that. Equal number of quality seats for blacks and whites so they might actually have to sit next to each other. And guess what? The DAR said, we can't do that. It's, it's just too contentious. I, I'm, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And it wasn't, just, it wasn't just the DAR. You know, we remember this. It wasn't just the DAR that wouldn't agree to that. They could not find a church, a school, a firehouse, a public library that would allow them to hold a concert under those particular situations. And so what happens is that they forget the power of members, of particularly of very influential members like Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt was a member of the DAR, and she was outraged by their decision not to have Marian Anderson be a part of their concert series or do a program at Constitution Hall. And she takes a notable step of resigning from that organization and I think that her letter is so poignant that I really did want to share with you the middle paragraph that she writes here. She says, I am in complete disagreement with the attitude taken in refusing Constitution Hall to a great artist. You have set an example which seems to me unfortunate, and I feel obliged to send in to you my resignation. You had an opportunity to lead in an enlightened way, and it seems to me that your organization has failed. Now, when you get a letter like this from the First Lady, you would think that the membership would be trembling in their boots, that they have now angered, that when you anger the First Lady, you anger the President, right? You anger the administration. Well, they may have been trembling, but they did not change their decision. 
they still refused to have Marian Anderson sing. And so what Eleanor Roosevelt did is that she arranged for Marian Anderson to deliver a concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on Easter Sunday morning in 1939. So the Department of the Interior would agree to have Marian Anderson give a concert. And it's very interesting to see some of these images of Marian Anderson giving her concert. It was cold that day. So while my fur looks nothing like Marian Anderson's, it will help me tell the story nonetheless. And while Marion, you see here, Marion doesn't have a hat on, but you know only because I am my father's child, you never go out in the cold without a hat. So perhaps she should have had a hat on that day. But Marion stands on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial before the statue of Lincoln. Lincoln who freed the slaves. And by the way, we're also celebrating an an anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. And she begins her program like this. My country is of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee we sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrims' pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty of thee, we sing. Did you catch the change in the word there? Of thee we sing. Who is we? All of us. Black, white, red, yellow. We will sing of freedom. Where, wherever we can, wherever we're given the opportunity, in spite of the limitations. Of thee we sing. Now, Marian Anderson, you will know and see this image. Constitution Hall held about 4,000 people. Would you look at the people that came out to hear Marian Anderson that day? If you can figure this out or may not know the story, more than 75,000 people would gather to hear Marian Anderson sing. And every time I get a chill down my back thinking about all of those people singing together, my country, tis of thee. We will sing. 75,000 people. By the way, as many events as, as we have seen on the steps of this mall, did you know that this was the first time that the mall had ever been used for such a large gathering? Marian Anderson was the first to even use that platform for such a large gathering. And now we've seen so many things happen on that mall. I put this modern picture here of Constitution Hall to remind me to tell you that two years later, 
the daughters of the American Revolution, would invite none other than the great Marian Anderson to sing. By the way, to sing a benefit concert to support the war effort. So they didn't give her any money for it, but they did allow her to sing there. Now, when I do this program for for many of the schools, I often ask the school children the question, if you were Marian Anderson, and two years later or three years later they told you you couldn't sing here because you were black and then they call you up to sing for free? Would you go? I ask you, how many of you would sing? There are several. And I'm assuming that the rest of you are saying, no, not me. But Marian Anderson did sing. Because if you remember her dream, and she did, that in spite of the limitation, she was going to sing in places where she had formerly been denied. She would go places where she had not been able to go before. And so it was an opportunity, perhaps disguised as a limitation, because she wasn't getting a paycheck, but it, nonetheless, it was an opportunity. But we don't want to forget, and Marion never did, forget her real dream, that she wanted to sing on the opera stage. The image that you see here is the concert poster of Marion Anderson getting that opportunity to do her first opera. And what's interesting about this for me is that Marian Anderson is almost 58 years old when she gets an opportunity to make her operatic debut. Now, not only is she getting the opportunity, the first opportunity to do it, she had never done it before. She had never sang in an opera before. All the singing that she had done and all the concertizing, she had never been in an opera and the first shot that she gets is on one of the world's greatest operatic stages ever at the Met. What? That's phenomenal to me. To be able to have her first shot be the biggest shot of her life. And so she makes that debut in Verdi's Un Balo in Mascara, the mask ball. And Marion plays the role of Orica in this opera. Orica is a fortune teller. And the king of Sweden, he um, is having a costume party, a mask ball. So everyone is all covered in masks and they're all dressed up. And he says, oh, wouldn't it be great fun if we had a fortune teller, someone to come up and they, everybody gets their fortunes told and it would be wonderful. And so they hire Ulrika, played by Marian Anderson, to tell fortunes. And so Marion is doing that and having great fun. And then one gentleman with his mask comes and gets his fortune told. And the fortune is, you will die at the hands of your best friend. It kind of puts a damper on a party for me. But, so what she doesn't know is that she has actually told that fortune to the king himself. And guess what else? It happens but I'll, I'll, I'll tell the end of the story this time before I sing this piece for you. It is really because the king is also having an affair with his best friend's wife. I know, so some of the women went, well, well, there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Marian Anderson plays the role of Orica, 
and she sings, this is a very long opera, by the way, she sings one aria in one act in one scene. That's all the role she has. It's a very small part. But when she walks out on the stage, she gets a 10-minute standing ovation before she ever sings a note. Because finally, America has welcomed its first African-American singer to its greatest concert hall in the role of Orica in Verdi's Unbalo in Mascara, Re de la Biso Afretati. Oh, please. 
As this opera winds down and the next day the reviews would come out, and by the way, Marion didn't get such good reviews on her vocal performance. Now remember I told you she is, she's beyond the prime of her career, but that was certainly overshadowed by the fact that she had made the debut at all. And because Marian Anderson had gone first and the opportunity had been provided to her, many others would follow. And you'll see some of those images as I close out the presentation. So what is the legacy of Marian Anderson? What do we learn from her? I believe that one of the lessons is that the hard work really does pay off. Persevering. Yes, absolutely. This morning I got up and I, and I read my, my morning quote and it seemed so, so fitting that the, the quote of the day, and I'm probably going to get it just wrong, but, um, but it says, but it said that, that opportunity is often missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and disguised as hard work. And so... You know who said that? It was Thomas Edison. And so it's interesting that many people shy away from the hard work simply because it's hard and miss the opportunity. And they see the work itself as a limitation instead of, a, instead of an opportunity, instead of a choice. And so here you'll see some of the music of Marion's music, and you see that little writing up there. Marion would go through her pieces of music and her scores, and she would analyze every chord, and she would translate every word so that she knew it just that well. You will see this script that is written in Marion's own notation. So she would take full pieces of music and write them over in her own notation simply because that she would know it that well. And Marion, you see all of this music and with every piece of music, Marion gave the same sense of dedication, of hard work to it. And for that reason, she made very few mistakes. Marion would give, she did lots of recordings and it took forever to get a good recording from Marian Anderson because it was never good enough to be good enough. Is that Marian could always just tweak it one little thing. I missed one little thing here. Let's go back and do it again. And so people were very tired in working with Marian, but they did it. They did it because Marian knew where she had come from and how hard she had worked to get there. Why stop the hard work now? And so remembering her community, and that Marion would go back to Philadelphia and she would go into schools and I imagine that she would come to places just like this for people who may not have been regular concert goers and may never have before say, saw black people sing opera. Who knew? But to tell them that you are not limited by who you are or the color of your skin. You're limited only by your desire to work hard and persevere and to recognize the choice. Marion's going into schools and back to her own church at Union Baptist and giving people the same lesson that I hope to leave with you, whether they remembered who she was, I am sure she passed along the message of choices, not limitations. You will see here some of the images of 
Marian Anderson with people of with Marian Anderson and people who sent pictures to Marian Anderson who were inspired and encouraged not necessarily by her beautiful voice but by the perseverance by the hard work by the tribute that she made to America because of the tremendous legacy that she did leave and there were people who, because Marian Anderson had gone first, could go second and third and so forth and never again be denied those opportunities because Marian Anderson had persevered. Names like Shirley Verrett, who says to you, Miss Anderson, is that she says, my idol, my inspiration. And that Marian would be just revered by so many people. Her, her nephew, James DePriest, who's, who still lives in uh, a, a grand um, director of conducting, is no longer at Juilliard, but is doing much work still in the field of music. Grace Bumbry, Shirley Verrett, these may be names that you know, pictured here with Leontine Price and, and Kathleen Battle and James Levine. And so, Marion did leave this tremendous legacy for those women who would follow her. And here, you know, I didn't want to leave without telling you a little more about Marion's life beyond her singing. So not only did she wait a long time to get that opportunity, well, she didn't wait, but it didn't come for a long time. She did make a choice to wait to get married. Marion is 46 years old when she marries Orpheus Fisher. And Orpheus, she had known Orpheus a long time. Now, as you look at Orpheus's picture, now I put, and I put it up there, and I, I know that that's not very clear, but some of the others, as you come to, you will probably make an assumption by, about Orpheus, and I'm going to tell you that you're wrong before I even know what your assumption is, but I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can read minds. Orpheus is a light-skinned black man. And one of the reasons that Marian Anderson did not marry him earlier in her life, because they had known each other since they were adolescents. But Orpheus, not only was he a bit of a playboy, that was one reason, but Orpheus also, Orpheus passed. He was sometimes black and he was sometimes white. And Marian sort of needed him to make up his mind on that too. And so, and she did a lot of traveling. And so it, when... Orpheus had asked Marion many times to marry him, but again, Marion was going back and forth to Europe, and she knew the man that she had, and so she wasn't about to be gone for months, and her husband be back here. So that was just trouble in the making, and she knew that, and she said, not now. But later on, when she settled down, when he settled down, that they would, they would get married, and she would finish out her days, dying at the age of 93 on Mariana Farms in Connecticut. Marian pictured here giving some of her farewell concerts. Again, there's never just one farewell concert when you're a star. You give numbers of them. You stay on that stage as long as you can. And she would, and she would sing for as long as she could before her health started to fail. And she's also one of the first to identify the Negro spiritual as an American art song. We have heard these spirituals all of our lives, but Marion brought them to the concert stage. And so many African-American singers after Marion Anderson would use the Negro spiritual as that closing of their programs so that they would often pay tribute to the legacy, 
to the story of the spirituals or to the stories that the spirituals tell and what it is to make those choices and to pursue through the limitations and still come out on the other side victorious as Marion did and the reason that we're here to talk about her today is because she did persevere. And as I finish some of these final images of Marian Anderson, I would like to close the program as, as she would have with one of those old spirituals that will be very familiar to you. Thank you for coming. I appreciate just having the audience and the opportunity to share the story of a great American hero in Marian Anderson. Thank you so much. There will not be five or six encores after this one. So I do appreciate you all coming out. Safe, safe travels. Have a wonderful day and happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> We're done.